why don't you find your seats? And as you do, um, we're going to continue to worship the Lord, but we're going to do that uh, by uh, getting out our Bibles. So open your Bibles and go with me to the book of First Timothy. Uh, we are in First Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can get one of our ushers' attention. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. We are in First Timothy chapter 4. And last week we had Vision Sunday, all right? And, and the point of getting a vision is to try to get a picture in our minds of what we're pursuing this year as a church. We're in a new ministry year. What is it that we're getting after? What's the focus? Where are we going? Here it is. Here it is. Uh, we've already said this. I hope this is really clear, that we want to be a worshiping and sending church. That's, that's the vision. Because the vertical worship of our great and glorious God propels the horizontal advancement of the mission to get the gospel out to the nations. We just envision being a church that is in love with Jesus, passionately praising his name, and becoming more and more like him, and then getting after the Great Commission. We want to make more disciples, seeing sinners become disciples who also worship Christ too now. And so... Um, I want to make you aware of a little bit of uh, change to our language here at Harvest, all right? And um, th this is, we, we, I'm just going to throw these up on the screen here. Um, we have six distinctives of a worshiping and sending church. Uh, we used to talk about having four pillars, and uh, that's not that those have gone away, okay? Uh, you're actually going to see nothing has really changed. Uh, but we're, I think it's going to make sense when you get after this. These are the things that we are committed to as a church. In fact, you can see this on our website. If you go to our a beliefs page, you'll already see these up. These are six distinctives of a worshiping and sending church. First is pretty obvious. It's passionate worship. Uh, we lift high the name of Jesus and exalt him. As I've said already this morning, the main event is the glory of God. That's what makes us a vertical church. That's what makes us a worshiping church. We're going to do that together. And then this bold preaching. We're proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. You don't need a message from me. You don't need a message from any other man. We need a message from this book. This book has the power to change us so we get into it. Every week, and we're going to preach it unapologetically. That's not going to change. And then this uh, fervent prayer. Um, do we believe that? Do we believe in the power of prayer? That we're going to seek the face of God and the hand of God. Okay? And we're going to do this with humble uh, hearts and an expectation that God answers prayer. We're kind of chasing this one. We can't lose sight of this, that we want to be. A worshiping church is a church that prays. And, uh, and then this, courageous evangelism. Courageous evangelism means we're going to invade the darkness of a lost world. We're going to proclaim the truth of Jesus with boldness. Okay, We're going to tell people that there is a Savior and His name is Jesus. And we're also going to demonstrate His compassion to a, a watching world. So if you're taking notes, um, we just said four of those distinctives. Notice those were our four pillars. Okay, Nothing's changed. Uh, but we've added this, okay? I think it's going to make sense. Uh, we've added this, purposeful disciple-making. Purposeful disciple-making. 
Okay, the reason we're doing this is because we're very intentional, intentional about being in community together to make mature disciples who are multiplying. That's why we say all the time, we want you to plug into a small group because this is where the church gets after really making disciples, purposeful disciple making. And then uh, last, or last distinctive is strategic church planting. Strategic church planting. Um, we don't do this alone um, in fact, we have uh, partners, we have global partners, and uh, we're, we're a part of uh, the Great Commission Collective, the GCC, other churches that are getting after planting churches. In fact, this morning, uh, Vertical Church Albany, New York is launching today. And I just love being a part uh, of a collective of churches that are getting after this together. And so for our part in this, we're praying about this. I hope you noticed this already, that once a month, we've got a global ministry partner that we're spending time right in the service. We're going to pray for them. And we're going to pray that God is going to work in them, and he's going to work through them. And then we are also giving and investing our resources later on this year, probably in December. We'll have another family chat and really want to be able to bring before you um, some of our budget and the way that we're giving and investing in uh, what God is doing around the world, helping to plant more worshiping and sending churches to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Okay? Um, these are six distinctives of a worshiping church and a sending church. And um, we're actually going to preach through each of these distinctives over the next six weeks. Now, you might be wondering, like, why, why are we changing the language? Why, why, why are we doing that? Well, one of the reasons we're doing that is because um, our elders believe that this just more accurately reflects our culture and our DNA. This is just who we are. This is what we do, okay? So really, nothing has changed. What we're trying to do is get after a little bit more clarity on what that looks like for us. I think it's really good for us to focus in on our DNA as a church, but the question that we're really wondering and asking today and in this series as we start this new ministry year is, what's your part in becoming a worshiping and sending church? What, what, what are you supposed to do? Here it is, here it is. If you get nothing else, we really want this to be super clear. Love Christ, live sent. Now that's your part. Because when your life gets vertical, you'll get going on the mission. And so we've been trying to get really, really practical about this and, and, and what does this really look like in our lives. And so we've developed this spiritual disciplines tool that all of our small groups are going through right now. I told you we're very purposeful and intentional about making disciples that are getting after this. We want to love Christ. We want to live sin. But we're trying to assess how are we doing in those areas. And, and so we're looking at some of our spiritual disciplines of pursuing loving Christ and living sent. Disciplines like, like, like loving Christ through our Bible reading and, and, and our prayer life and serving the church and giving uh, to what God is doing here and around the world. And these are just some of the things that we can do, but we're pursuing a deeper relationship with Jesus, trying to become more like him, okay? But then how are we doing, not just in loving Christ, but also in living sent? How are we doing in that area? And, and so I need to think about, like, am I discipling somebody? And it might seem weird for you to say that, but but you're a disciple, and disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So are you investing your life in someone else? And not only that, are you evangelizing? Are you sharing your faith 
with unbelievers and trying to see other lost sinners come to Christ? And are you serving your community? Are you supporting missions? It means I am here for more than just my own happiness, and I want to be intentional about making disciples of all nations, which means I start to recognize I have a personal responsibility to do that here and now, right where God has me. And I want to be uh, loving Christ, living sent in these spiritual disciplines because I want to know him, I want to be like him, and I want to be faithful to what he's called us. So uh, you could say that this year um, we're really trying to emphasize maturity. I just sense that this is a really great need for us as a church, okay? Um, Like certainly we want to grow. And uh, that means we want more people to come. We've got this awesome message, and we're getting after making disciples. We want more people here. But it's more than just that. We're not just trying to fill seats. We're trying to make disciples, okay? And so I think that there's some areas of growth in our maturity. The thing is, we're all kind of at various levels of maturity and disciplines in these areas. And, uh, and that's okay, but I think all of us would have to admit, um, I've got some work to do. I'm not where I need to be, not really where I want to be in things like Bible reading and prayer and giving and evangelism and discipling someone. Anybody kind of admit that? Like, yeah, I probably have some work to do in this area. Okay, so then let's get after and get really practical. I'll help you take a next step to grow in these areas. Okay? Now somebody um, in this moment needs to be just thinking, can we just get into our Bibles already? Can we do that? Um, I'm glad you asked. First Timothy chapter 4. Uh, First Timothy chapter 4. I think this text is, is, is going to tell us why we need to be disciplined. If you're there, uh, look at verse 7. I'm going to read just verses 7 and 8, all right? Here's what he says. Uh, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Here it is. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Can I just ask you, do you want to be godly? Do you, do you, do you want that? Because you pursue the things you want. And there's all sorts of things that, that, that you could want to be uh, true of you this year. You could say, man, I, I want to be more respected at work or, or, or I want to be in a, in a better job or I want to be debt-free, or I want to be married, or I want to have kids, or I want to be more fit and healthy, or I, I, I want to be a better student, I want to be more re- reliable, and, and, and you could want those things and set goals to pursue those things, and that'd be great, but, but what, if, what if you could be godly? Is godliness, um, the pursuit of godliness, does that seem worth it to you? Do you want to be a godly man, a godly woman? Here's the big idea from the text if you're taking notes. Here it is. Note this. Godliness requires discipline, but it's always worth it. Like hoping that you know that, and we want to get after this together as a church, that we would be pursuing godliness in our own lives. And if, if you want to be godly, I think in this text we see three requirements for godliness. Here's what you got to do. Uh, note this. Here's the first one. Uh, train for it. Train for it. Uh, the verse says, verse 7 says, train yourself for godliness. That word uh, train is the Greek word gymnazo, 
um, where we get our English word uh, gymnastics or gymnasium. It, it really has the idea of exercise, exercising. And of course, all of you uh, Bible scholars know that this, uh, the root of this word is actually uh, naked. And uh, so quite literally, uh, then the originally, uh, this, this word meant to exercise naked. You say, like, what are you talking about? Like, why? why? Um, well, uh, athletes that were participating in the games in Greek culture tradi- traditionally did so um, without clothing so as to avoid anything that would uh, hinder them or slow them down in any way. Come on, somebody say, that's gross. You can imagine this is not going to work so well playing football. Actually, do yourself a favor and don't imagine that, okay? Um, praise God for Under Armour. And, and if we were to try to translate this verse, verse 7, literally, then exercise naked for godliness, that's not going to be super helpful. So thankfully, uh, by New Testament times in the Greco-Roman world, this, this word just kind of came to this general sense of exercise or training. It, it means to, to uh, hit the gym and to work out straining muscles, breathing heavy, sweat dripping off your face, this word smells like a locker room. And I realize that for some of you, that's like really motivating. You're like ready to get out there and pump some iron and, and run through a wall. I mean, that's, of course, that's like how I'm feeling about this. For those of us who are really into bodybuilding and, and CrossFit, like, okay, so now I don't fit into that category. The rest of us are kind of looking at this word and we're like, uh, you know, that doesn't sound so pleasant. I'm just picturing my seventh grade gym teacher yelling at me, and all I can smell is, is B.O. and Axe body spray. It's kind of making me feel like i got to puke. That's, that's what this word is doing. It's not meant to be pleasant, okay? The fact that we have to train for it means that godliness doesn't come easy. I've got to work for this. I can't order it on Amazon. It's not microwavable. Throwing up a one-time prayer doesn't make it magically happen in your life. It's going to take work. You're not going to find an easier path to godliness, right? It's not like those infomercials that promise you that for just three easy payments of $29.99 and a a couple of sit-ups a day, you know, it's like all you got to do is like sit up in the morning and lay down at night, and you're just going to have these rocking awesome abs of steel. You barely had to break a sweat. We all know that doesn't work, right? That doesn't work. You gotta work at this. I was thinking about those of you who are um, runners. We got any runners in here this morning? Like, come on, come on, admit it. I know you're not ashamed. There you are. Um, so, so I've talked to some of you runners before, especially those of you who have like run marathons. I have so much respect for you because I don't understand this. I don't get it. And you talk to me and you tell me that it's like this greatest feeling when you get out there and like my body almost died. I almost gave out and I was able to keep going. It was awesome. I mean, that does not sound awesome at all. But I respect the fact that what you're doing is pretty cool, that if you're going to train for something like a marathon, you don't just get up and decide one day, I'm just going to go out and run like whatever it is, uh, all these, I'm going to be able to do this today. You're not going to do it. you got to train for it. You're going to have to put in the hours. You're going to have to wake up early uh, in the dark, even when it's cold, when everybody else that's kind of normal is still asleep. Just kidding. Uh, but it's hard, right? That's, that's what he's saying here. That's what it's like with our spiritual walk with Christ. If you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, if you want to grow in godliness, it's going to take sweat. You're going to have to put in the hours. You're going to have to get after the the daily grind of disciplining yourself to do the things that will help you pursue Christ and be more like him. 
And some of you have found this out. Maybe, um, has anybody ever, any of you ever decided that you were going to read the Bible in a year? You ever, you ever thought, like, that's a, that's a worthy goal. I think that's pretty cool that you could do that and say, I'm just going to read the entire Bible. I'm going to do it in a, in a year. But anybody who's ever tried that has realized that about by the book of Leviticus, man, this is going to take some work. I'm going to have to keep grinding at this. I'm going to have to get up and do it even when I don't feel like it, right? Because when God's word challenges us and convicts us and commands us, there's an expectation that we're going to obey, that we're going to apply these things, we're going to put these things into practice, and that takes perseverance. And even when you think you're rocking at it, there's always more room for improvement. So can I say to you, like, Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe these disciplines of, of reading Scripture or, or meditating on it or praying without ceasing, serving the body of Christ, giving, giving generously, sharing the gospel with others. These are the things we're trying to pursue together. These are the disciplines we're getting after. And I would say to you that no matter where you're at in these disciplines, take the next step. Take the next step wherever you're at. Make a specific plan. Get some accountability and stick do it. You can't be haphazard in this, okay? You can't be lazy about this. Let, let, let's just say you really are trying to work on your Bible reading. If you're like, man, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm getting after that. That's the discipline that I want to do. I want to get better at my Bible reading. A plan is not, um, I'm just going to read my Bible more. That's like the guy that says he's going on a diet, and you're like, man, that's great. Like, what, 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 kind, of, what kind of diet you're doing? He's like, well, you know, I'm just going to eat healthier. Oh, okay. Let me know how that goes out for you, right? I mean, at this point, you know, like, that's going to work out great until he sees a tub of ice cream. It's just not going to happen. And sometimes we approach godliness with the same unspecific, unresolved, noncommittal, casual attitude like, yeah, I know I need to, I need to read more. I need to, I need to pray more. I know I got I to gotta grow some more. Like, it's just going to happen naturally. And like you're just kind of, I don't know, I'll get to it eventually. No, 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 no. What does the text say? What does verse 7 say? It says, train for it. Put in the work. You're going to have to work hard at this. And so wherever you're at in your pursuit of godliness, take the next step. Get after it. Let's say it is your Bible reading. And, and, and you're like, man, I want to grow in that. I want to get, get better at that. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I like, don't do this hardly at all. Well, then maybe... This week, you just need to set a goal. Like every day this week, I'm going to get into the scriptures. Like, don't bite off the whole year at a time. You might just need to start here. Let's just take this week and let's get into God's word. Maybe some of you, though, you're rocking. You're like crushing it on consistency. It's happening every day. You're, you, you've got your coffee. You know what you're doing at the same time. You're in it all the time. But um, are you meditating on it? Are you really spending time letting the mystery of God's word penetrate and impact your heart? Or are we just like getting through it so that I can check it off and feel better about myself? Or like I accomplished my Bible reading today. Or am I spending time meditating, thinking through it, praying through it? Are you memorizing it? Like hiding God's word in my heart. And then you can't do Bible study, or at least you can't do uh, correct Bible study without applying it. Am I getting after that? Make a plan. Stick to it. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's giving for you. Uh, maybe, maybe you're giving consistently and uh, giving a little bit every week or every month. And when I think about it, um, 
those of you who want to grow in this area realize that it kind of takes discipline to learn to let go of your stuff and, and, uh, and to stick to a budget and to give generously and to invest a higher percentage of my giving because I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to be faithful to that, and I want to do this. Maybe, maybe it's going to take a plan to be disciplined in that. Or maybe it's sharing the gospel, evangelism. Like we, we hit this all the time around here, and I hope we never get tired of hearing this. We've got to get the gospel out. And, and the more we talk about it, maybe there's this, like, one person that's been in your mind, um, and every time we think about it, you're like, yeah, I need to share the gospel with that person. And, and it's just not happening, hasn't it? It's happened, you've been thinking about it for months, and nothing's happened. Maybe the next step for you would just be to set a goal, like, the next two weeks I'm going to have a conversation with them. Or maybe you're really growing in this, and, and you've been, like, getting out there, and you've been inviting people to church. You love what happened here, and you, you want other people to be experiencing the worship of God and getting under the word of God. And you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm telling people to come to Harvest, and that's great. Don't stop. But maybe the next step for you, then, is uh, to really start asking some deeper spiritual questions, to ask them, like, hey, what's your spiritual background? Like, what do you believe about this? And, and uh, what, you know, like, what, what, did, did you grow up in, in any kind of church? And, and uh, engaging in the conversation, initiating a little bit more, and actually telling people what Jesus did for us on the cross. Maybe that's the next step for you. The point is this. Godliness requires discipline. And if we're going to love Christ and live sent this year, we got to get to work. And I encourage you, um, don't do this alone. Okay? We want to help you. That's why we're uh, doing this together in community, in our small groups, and it'll be all the more fun uh, to tell the stories this year as you grow in discipline and train yourself for it. So I'm kind of hoping that at this point um, some of you are feeling a little uneasy about this here at Harvest. Uh, Because uh, maybe this kind of sort of almost sounds a little bit too much like a uh, a motivational uh, self-help message. Like, like, you can do it. We believe in you. Get out there. Or, Or maybe it sounds legalistic. Do this, do that, try this, try harder, keep working, train for it. might sound legalistic. So the question is, what makes discipline not legalism? How how can we pursue spiritual disciplines without falling into the trap of legalism? Well, look at what the text says. Look at verse 7 again. It says, train yourself for godliness. Now that word is really significant because when we think about godliness, mostly what comes into our minds, we think about actions. We think about what people do. It's the characteristics of somebody who is like God. That's how we would define it. But the word actually goes deeper than just actions. Actions, yes, like that's a part of it, but it's actions that are rooted in attitude. It's an attitude. You see, godliness is an attitude towards God that motivates us to be disciplined and to please Him. And so here's the second requirement if you're taking notes. Note this. Check your attitude. 
Check your attitude. It's not just actions. It's also the heart behind it. And, and, and when my heart, my attitude towards God motivates me to be disciplined, it turns the I have to into I want to. It's not drudgery anymore. And, and the desire to please God keeps us from the trap of legalism because the difference is one of motivation. Why, why are you doing it? We're not, uh, I'm not just setting goals for these spiritual disciplines because my small group leader is forcing me to do this or he's pressuring me into it. I feel like I kind of have to. I'm certainly not doing it because I think I have to do this in order to make God love me or accept me. And, and I'm not doing it because, you know, if I'm, if I'm really disciplined, if I, if I do some really good things, then God will give me whatever I want. Like if I really do get after this and I, and I read my Bible every single day this week, I've been a good boy, then, then that somehow has earned me a couple of prayer requests at least, right? I'll be able to ask God and he'll, he'll, he'll do some good things for me because I kept my end of the bargain. No, 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 that's legalism. And that's not how or why we discipline ourselves. Godliness is an attitude towards God that makes me want to please him. So watch what happens here. Um, I think the reverse may also be true. Because if my attitude motivates my actions, then if my actions are not godly, and there's no desire for discipline, then it might be an indication that something's wrong with my attitude towards God. It might sound like a weird question, but I think it's something that we all really need to wrestle with. How's, how's your attitude towards God? Can we have some real talk for just a minute? Uh, have you ever... Um, you ever struggled with your attitude towards somebody that you were really close to? Um, somebody that you're around? Let's say, let's say it's a roommate, okay? Because I'm sure our married couples like never, uh, ever deal with this. Uh, but let's just say it's a roommate, okay? And, and, and you're kind of struggling with your attitude towards them. And it's not, it's, not, it's not crazy. You're not like fighting. You're not like yelling at each other. But there's just kind of this tension. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and uh, maybe you get a little bit short with each other. You're not really enjoying spending time together. And, and, and it could be for a number of reasons. Maybe you feel like they just make you do all the work or they don't appreciate you. They don't ever think of you or whatever it is. You don't like the way they said that or you're just kind of, those quirks are just kind of getting to you and you just kind of feel a little bit annoyed, just a little bit frustrated. You ever felt that? So that attitude makes it really hard to want to go out of your way to do something nice for them, doesn't it? Like, I just don't feel it. I don't want to. See, the same is true for your relationship with God. If your attitude is off, you're really going to struggle to be disciplined. You're really going to struggle to train yourself for godliness. And so I think some of you might need to Check your attitude. Check your attitude towards God. Because maybe, maybe some of you are feeling just, like maybe you wouldn't even say it out loud, but I just kind of have this sense of 
I'm a little bit frustrated with God. I'm a little bit upset. Because he let this thing happen in my life. This unpleasant circumstance. And he could have done something about it, and he didn't. He just let it happen. Or he hasn't been answering my prayers like I had hoped that he would. I really wanted that new job. Or I've been waiting and waiting for, to find true love. And I've been saving myself for it. I'm still single. I've been really wanting kids. I see everybody else running around and they're so happy. And I've been asking. And so because you're frustrated with your circumstances, it just kind of feels easier to throw up your hands in resignation and question whether it's really worth it at all to put in all the work to follow him and be disciplined. Or maybe you feel um, just a little indifferent towards God. Like, I, I would say, like, you know, I, I sure, I want God to be a part of my life, but, you know, quite honestly, there's just some other things that I got going on right now that are a little bit more exciting and, and, and things that I'd rather be doing, rather be pursuing. And so, so your indifference towards God leads you to put him on the back burner and, and ignore conviction. Maybe at this point you don't even feel convicted anymore. You just keep chasing after other things more than you do Christ. Hey, do you know, do you know that wrong attitudes toward God stem from bad theology? Thinking and believing things about God that are not true of Him. And bad theology leads to a bad attitude, which makes it next to impossible to train yourself for godliness. I don't want to. I don't feel like that. And so, so here's what he says. If we're going to start, we've got to combat these lies with the truth about who God is. I gotta get back in the word and make sure I know who is this God. I wanna get my theology right. In fact, if you're looking at verse seven, the verse right before that, in verse six, he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Here it is, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Get your doctrine right, get your the theology right. A right theology of God leads to a right attitude of God. It leads to an attitude of fear and love. The fear of God and a love for God. It leads to a fear of God because I realize that God is God and I'm not. And, and like, it's not about me, and I want to get my eyes off of myself and get them onto Him. And it helps me understand that, that, that God is holy. And, and so there's a, there's, there's a reverence, and there's an awe, there's a respect here. And, and I don't raise my fist at Him in frustration because I know He is sovereign. He is in control of everything. And everything He does is good. And His ways are higher than mine. See, the problem is when I'm, when I'm frustrated, it's because honestly, I'm thinking in my heart, God, if you would have just listened to me, if you would have done it my way. No, 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 no. I, I fear him because his ways are higher. He knows best, which means he knows better than me. And so I let the truth begin to change my attitude because I can't blow my circumstances out of proportion and start questioning the character of God. Has he 
or will he ever do anything wrong? And is anything too hard for him? And does he care for us? So we fear him, but we also love because he first loved me. And when I think about Jesus dying on the cross instead of me, how could I ever question his love and goodness? See, the gospel guards in my heart an attitude of gratitude. And I'd learn to be thankful. Because instead of just focusing on what I want and what I don't have, now my heart is warmed by what I have in Christ. And I know Jesus is better. You see that? A right theology is going to help my right attitude towards God. Now, now, Now watch what happens here because I think these spiritual disciplines actually propel the cycle forward. Because when, when, when you stay in the scriptures and on your knees in prayer, it keeps the truth about God fresh in your mind so that you have a love for Christ and a godly attitude that motivates you to stay disciplined, to stay in the scriptures and on your knees, which keeps your heart and your mind in check and your attitude motivating you to stay disciplined, to stay in the scriptures. You see where I'm, see where I'm going there? So, so maybe, maybe right now some of you need to check your attitude towards God. And if you would say, um, I need to fix this a little bit, uh, I would say to you, remember that it's a relationship. And you can start the conversation in prayer by confessing. Because if you're not where you need to be, if you're not where you want to be, it's not because he failed. It's not because he's changed. It's because I need a new attitude. And I want to have a heart of fear and love for him. And then I love that we get to ask him to empower us to be disciplined. God's going to do that work. So that we train ourselves for godliness. So we train for it. Uh, We check our attitudes, and then here's the third requirement. I end with this. Trust the promise. Trust the promise. Here's what he says, verse 8. While, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way because it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So here's what he's saying. It's really good when you eat healthy and when you exercise. It's pretty obvious. You're going to experience some benefit from that. i got to stop eating Chick-fil-A and, and, and drop the donuts, and i got to hit the elliptical again. That's going to be way better for me. But even better than that, he says, is godliness. So he's trying to help us understand is prioritize training for godliness over any other discipline. And the promise is that when I am when I am pursuing Christ, when I'm disciplining myself because I want to please him, it impacts my life now. Just just ask the people that are closest to you. Ask the people you love. Ask the people that are spending time with you. It's going to impact your life now and it's going to prepare me for eternity. You will never be disappointed by the value of godliness in your life. But all sorts of people 
have found out the hard way that you can be an informed and involved parent uh, or or an incredibly gifted communicator, or a top-notch salesman, or an intelligent analyst, or a dynamic leader, a celebrated hero, even a successful pastor. But if you're not godly, you kind of know the rest, don't you? See, godliness makes all the difference. You will never be disappointed, and you will never regret living Christ. Godliness requires discipline, but it's always worth it. Hey, church, can we get after this? Can we have to get after being a worshiping and sending church that is full of people that are learning to discipline ourselves to love Christ and to live sent? Father, I pray that you're going to make this true of us as we pursue this this year. We want to be more like you. We want to be more effective at the mission that you've called us to. We believe that you're worth it. We believe you are worthy of the praise. We believe that all the gods of the people, the things that anyone else would chase after, it's just a worthless idol. It is nothing compared to you. And we're recognizing that this world needs to know that you are great. You are glorious. You are satisfying. And God, I, I just have to believe that somebody here needs this word. We've got to start doing some business with you because our attitude towards you has just been a little off lately. And maybe it's been, I've been a little frustrated or a little, I don't know, just annoyed, maybe a little indifferent. I haven't been getting after this. I haven't had that desire. God, would you fix my bad attitude with a right view of who you are. God, I want to get after this. I want my life to be built upon the love of Christ. I pray that the gospel would continue to change us, to make us more like yourself. And that in all of this, you would get the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.